Welcome to Tractionville, everybody. This is the podcast for companies that run on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with Benj Miller. And today we've got a good friend of mine. He is a leader who inspires lots of people. Uh, Clay Scroggins, welcome to the show. No, thanks, guys. Great to be here. Great to be with you. I'm a big fan of the name Tractionville, by the way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> such a great, it's such a great name. Thanks. <laughs> You're in it. Welcome to it. You are Tractionville. <laughs> I got to watch you uh, have a highlight moment. And I want, I want to start here because you, you lead lots of people, staff of what, easily over a hundred. <laughs> um, but I was with you in a room with your senior leadership team when you had your first session implementing EOS. And at the end of that day, you sat back in your chair and had a retroflective moment on the day. Do you remember that moment? And can you share what you were thinking in that moment? Yeah, definitely. Um, To give a little context, uh, Ben, you and I were, uh, we were on a plane to Dallas. We were doing a day trip to go visit this company that we were trying to learn from. And uh, that was a big moment for me too, because you, uh, I don't know, it took about it took about an hour and a half, which is about how long it takes to fly from Dallas to DFW or from Atlanta to DFW. It took you about an hour and a half to sell me on EOS. I was all in after hearing mainly because you were so passionate about it. But uh, but then I thought, yeah, I need to see this. I don't know, like anything, you just want to see it, and you want to see it in operation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we you facilitated the day with our team. Um, it was uh, eye opening. It was inspiring, but it also led me to this place that made me feel, um, I don't know, I, it, it, it created a lot of frustration about my own past because uh, my, my feelings at the end of the day were, why have I not been doing this sooner? And uh, I had been leading senior teams for the last 10 years, and it just made me feel like, what in the world have I been doing the last 10 years, aimlessly leading them through whatever I was most passionate about or whatever was most urgent, basically. So yeah, at the end of the day, it was just a, gosh, I, I just regret that I have not gotten here sooner. Well, that's the entrepreneur story, right? We're all, we're not like plugged into a perfect system. We have to create it ourselves and we mm-hmm. don't know what we don't know until we learn it. And then we kick ourselves for not knowing it sooner. Cause it could have saved us a lot of headaches. So you're definitely not, right. not definitely not alone in that. What what did you feel like it gave you specifically that you didn't have before as a leader? Yeah, I think just, a, you know, for one, just a very clear, here's where we're headed. This is what we're aiming for. But then the deeper level, probably the part that was more meaningful for me was we now have a system for how we're going to accomplish what we have just agreed on is most important. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a comfort level to it because it, I don't know. I just have sat in plenty of planning meetings where I thought this feels right and this feels important and this feels focused, but I don't know that we're going to get there because I don't really know how we're going to get there. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping that uh, everybody in the room feels the same way I do and that we leave here and everybody gets done what we all just decided we were going to get done. But what usually happens is everybody in the room goes back to their jobs and the whirlwind of the day-to-day activities of life and of our jobs and our roles and our organization, it just takes over. And you look back three months later and you go, Oh yeah, we said that that was really important and we have not done anything about it since then. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that, that had just been my norm. And so to, to leave with this feeling of, uh, I don't mean, I, it, it was almost like a peaceful feeling or like at least a, 
it was a feeling of comfort going, oh my gosh, not only have we decided where we're headed, but we also have the system now that's going to uh, ensure that we stay on track with what we've actually said we need to be working on. Clay, you lead one of the largest churches in America um, and do that phenomenally, both leading your, your staff, but also you're one of the most gifted communicators that I've ever been around, not just on a Sunday morning from stage, but uh, when, when you speak in a, in a meeting impromptu, I think I could ask you the most complex physics question and you could give me the most brilliant answer. It would have nothing to do with physics, but I'd be entertained. Um, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> nor would it be correct. <laughs> um, my question is, as you walk into the room with that much uh, uh, power in that charisma, what does that do from the guy that's not that? What does that do and what does it leave lacking on the other side? Do you feel like there's a void on the other side of that? Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, as we, I, I think the first thing I ever did in my life that helped me understand myself better was I was probably 21 or 22 and took the now discover your strengths or strength finder. Um, the, well, where I first saw it was the Marcus Buckingham book, now discover your strengths. But I know the test has since been separated a bit from that book, but, um, I remember hearing that language, the, the idea of winning others over. I mean, my strength, that was the first time I'd ever, ever really realized that the things that I was good at, um, those were unique strengths to me. Um, not that I was the only one that had them, but the, the concoction of it, the cocktail of it was, that was my uniqueness. Um, my, I like the, I like the language that I've really learned from you, Benj, but, um, that's my, some of that is my superpower. Uh, and so I didn't, yeah, learning that that was a gift of mine was a real aha moment. And then, uh, learning the flip side of going, okay, because I'm good at that, it does create other challenges. So I remember I had a guy, so I, at the time I was leading, uh, I, I was leading part of our organization that helps mentor high school students. And so we mobilized, uh, a thousand volunteers to help mentor uh, middle school and high school students. And I remember this one particular mentor that we had been working with for a while. He stopped me at one time. I had a quick conversation with him and then I was moving on to the next one. And he goes, he goes, Hey, before you move on, um, can I just tell you that I've been around you now for five years and I've never had a conversation longer than five minutes with you. Mm. <laughs> and he wasn't, he wasn't criticizing me. He wasn't, I don't think he was, or at least if he was, he said it in a really nice way. I think he was just making an observation, but it, it like, I mean, it cut me to the core because I thought, Oh no. Um, what, you know, what, what are, I'm, I'm basically, it was, I was becoming aware of my, some of the challenges of my, uh, of my skills or the, some of the things that I bring to a team or to an organization. And so, you know, ever since then, I've become even more aware of the challenges of that. I mean, obviously, the downside or the visionary is, you know, very low in detail. I mean, my high optimism is great, and the energy and the positivity I bring, I think, is helpful. But the danger is, I'm a quick sell. I mean, I can be really, I mean, I would like to think that I've gotten better at thinking critically um, as a leader. But at the same time, I am, when I get enthusiastic about something, when I get passionate about something, I'm in it and I'm all in. And obviously that can be really dangerous at times because uh, we've all been in on the wrong things. So those are some of the, I mean, that's, that's on the other side for me, which again is why this concept is so helpful for me because everything about my skills 
it, uh, I need a system like this because I'm like, I feel a lot of times like the little puppy dog that just gets really excited about whatever's in front of me. But then as soon as, you know, the next thing comes along, I'm chasing after that. And so to have the, to have a system in place that creates the focus or helps maintain the focus that you've established uh, is just such a huge need for me. So I think that's why it it has uniquely been helpful for somebody with my uh, gift set. Clay, I want to take our audience into your mind, into your first book that you wrote. It's called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And most of our listeners have other people in their organization who aren't in charge that would really resonate with the message, the the frustrations that, mm-hmm. that you outline in your book. So talk about your book. Talk about the message in your book, who it's for, um, because I think it could, it could really resonate for a lot of our audience. Yeah. Well, I... I work in an organization with about 600 employees and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at this point in my life, I'm in a more senior level position, but for most of my career, I've just been in a middle, middle management position. And so, but yet at the same time, there's something in me that I think in everybody that I've always wanted to be a leader. I've always wanted to lead something. I've always wanted to, you know, take an idea and see it through to help it, get to the point where it has impacted other people and other people have gotten behind it. And, uh, it's, it made a difference in this world. So that's, that's been in me since I was a little kid. And I think I just, at some point in my professional career, I woke up and realized that I was believing this lie that I had to be in charge in order to lead. Mm. Um, and I think that's normal. I mean, every, as kids, we grow up believing that we look at the teacher, the coach, the principal, whoever's up in front and we just assume, Oh, that's the leader because they have the authority. And it took me, it really took me a couple of promotions to realize that the more authority you get, it doesn't make you any better of a leader. And what it also means is that you don't actually have to be in charge to influence something, to see it move, to see it change, to see it grow. Uh, And that's hopeful. I mean, that's hopeful for anybody who's not in charge. So the, the heartbeat of the book was really to say, Hey, you can cultivate influence and you can leverage influence from whatever seat that you're in. And the more you do that, the more you actually can begin to lead from exactly right where you are. And so I wrote this book about it that um, has given me loads of opportunities to talk about it in different corporations and organizations and businesses. And um, it's been a blast to get to carry this message for sure. How would we identify somebody in our organization that needs to read your book and understand that message? Well, the, I mean, the beauty of the book is that, uh, you know, most leadership books are written to the, the most senior leader in the organization. But um, I tried to write a book that was for the other 99% of mm-hmm. humans in, in, any, in any organization that, hey, if you find yourself in a position where you're not in charge, then uh, if you have a boss, then I think this book is for you. And so that's the, you know, the beauty of it is I've, I've had more you know, businesses, companies, organizations say, Hey, I bought the book for my whole company. Um, because it really is for anyone who lacks authority. Um, you know, the, the, the crazy irony of the whole thing for me was when I realized, you know what, even the best leaders, even the greatest, most in charge, senior leader, CEO types, they don't leverage authority. They leverage influence. Um, they're not waving the you know, they're not, they're not waving the gun of authority saying, Hey, do what I tell you to do. They're, they're coming up next to people walking alongside people 
and they're they're leveraging the influence that they have somehow cultivated along the way. And usually they cultivated the influence when they weren't in charge. And so I think it's a really uh, powerful concept for any one of us, because if you're not in charge right now, instead of being frustrated about what you're not in charge of, you have this amazing opportunity to cultivate influence right where you are. And if you can do it, if you can learn how to lead when you're not in charge, you'll be a better leader when you are in charge. Growing a company is hard. Continuing to grow is even harder, especially for small companies. As marketing has become more complex, there's more to know, do, and measure with the same marketing dollars. Syrup is a brand and digital marketing agency exclusively for small companies. Their unique model gives you focus, confidence, and growth by prioritizing the right things and executing proven processes that drive revenue, build maturity, and increase customer lifetime value. This approach allows Syrup to guarantee the most effective use of your marketing capital. Whether it's crafting the right message or your audience, representing yourself visually, building world-class websites, or navigating the complexities of marketing, they exist to give you an edge. Visit their website at syrupmarketing.com. That's syrupmarketing.com. Clay, you have a new book coming out. So you've been riding that wave, but you are not one to stop. Um, and I love how uh, what you've done without even knowing it is you've almost written a manual for leaders that believe in the EOS concept of clarity breaks, checking out, checking, yep. checking out, um, you know, clarity breaks in, in EOS are the, the, the big moments where you, you know, take a day, take a half day, go in the woods, pen and paper, but your next book, how to lead in a world of distraction. Tell us what spawned that and, and, and give us the heartbeat behind it. Well, I, uh, I think what, you know, the, the illustration that I use to talk about it is what really helped me bump into these concepts. But I'm a, uh, as a parent of five, my wife and I have five young kids cause she can't mainly cause she can't keep her hands off of me. Um, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> she's probably not going to listen to this podcast, so I can say that. Um, but we, uh, we love white noise. We love the, con- we love not just the concept of it. We love the, uh, the practicality of it because, you know, when, when you have a sleeping child, the goal with a sleeping child is to keep that child sleeping <laughs> at all costs because of, uh, you know, it's, it's really when you get those moments of, uh, freedom and, uh, solitude and peacefulness as a parent, unfortunately, most often is when your child is sleeping. So anyway, so when we roll into, you know, some new place, we usually roll in with a lot of noise, a lot of white noise, a lot of brown noise, a lot of crickets chirping, a lot of, you know, uh, heavy rain pouring or whatever, whatever the, the sound is of the day. And so I think I just started realizing, you know what, that's really an illustration of life because there is so much more noise in life today than there has ever been before. I mean, there is more noise uh, in 2019 than there was in 2018. And there's 10 times as much noise as there was, in, you know, just even a couple of years ago because of, and so much of it is because of the, the onslaught of information, the onslaught of marketing, uh, there are more mediums now for us to be able to consume so much noise. And unfortunately, as humans, what we do is we keep our fingers on the dial of noise in the world. And when something on the inside doesn't uh, or is creating discomfort for us or is something that we don't want to process or don't want to deal with, we usually just turn up the noise. 
And as leaders, there's some common noise. I mean, leaders use the noise of progress, the noise of the perception of success, even the noise of certainty, having to have all the answers. We turn those, we, we keep our fingers on those knobs. And when we're feeling something inside, like, you know, something's broken or something's, uh, whether it's anxiety or fear or doubt or worry, or even something positive, like I've got a burden about a new idea. Or I've got something that I've been wanting to try. Uh, it creates sometimes uncomfortable or uh, emotions that we don't want to deal with. And so we just turn those, we turn the, the volume up on the noise around us. And it's really one of the most dangerous things that gets in the way of our own ability to lead ourselves. And so really it's a whole, it's a, it's just one slice of the angle on how to lead yourself well, because leading yourself well is such a massive concept, but you know, the, the, the idea that, that you have with EOS to be able to walk into the woods with an open notebook every now and then and sit down with nothing else around you and ask some really simple but powerful questions about how am I doing? Uh, how is our company doing? How is my team doing? Is there any unexploited opportunity that I haven't experienced? Is there anything that's getting in the way of my health, whether personally or professionally? Mm -hmm. um, and if so, what am I willing to do about it? Those moments, they just don't happen unless we intentionally step into them. I mean, I've just found in life, we never passively find what it is that we're looking for, that it really does take intentionality. It takes mm -hmm. action. And so this book is really a call for people to turn down the noise to, because that is what great leaders do. Great leaders turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of their emotions. Mm -hmm. So you, you set up the, the pain. We, we could all relate to that. As you're talking about, we felt ourselves in that picture with you. Uh, we're all guilty. And I'm hoping that your book isn't just getting us to raise our hand and say, yes, that's me too. Give us some of the antidote. What do we do? Yeah. Well, the, the subtitle of the book is Four Simple Habits for Turning Down the Noise. Um, I mean, the, the first step is you've got to identify, okay, there is a lot of noise in my life. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, you've got to have the courage to turn it down. You've got to have the courage to identify it and then to turn it down. And, you know, everybody's got different noises. I mean, you're, every one of us probably deals at some level with whether it's social media, whether it's just aimless web searching, whether it's, you know, the radio, music, food, shopping, whatever it is. There's some common ones like that, but there's some deeper ones that we all wrestle with. And so step one is really identifying it. Um, I love that little line, though, in uh, Tommy Boy, when he gets on, Tommy gets on the elevator with Dan Aykroyd, and Dan Aykroyd leans over to him and starts sniffing him, you know, and he's like, went a little heavy on the pine tree perfume, didn't you, kid? <laughs> and Tommy looks at him and goes, it's actually air freshener. He just rubbed the air freshener from the taxi cab all over himself. And Dan Aykroyd looks at him and he goes, great, step one, identifying it. Step two is washing it off. <laughs> and so I do feel like, you know, just step one is not enough. I mean, step one of just identifying it, raising our hand, sure, that's not enough. Step two is really, okay, what are, what are the habits? for turning down the noise. And I've, I, I try to give four, there's, there's 20 of them, but what great leaders do is great leaders take time to get quiet. Um, great leaders take time to press pause. Great leaders take time to talk to themselves. Uh, and great leaders take time to actually give themselves a break. And so those four simple concepts, I really try to tease out and give people hopefully inspire people to make sure that they're practicing them in their everyday flow and their everyday life, because it really is all about rhythm. It's all about habits. Um, it's all about the, 
the willingness and uh, uh, activities to actually turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious mm. of our own emotions. Ruthlessly curious. I like that. Clay, we'll put uh, links to both your books in the show notes. Uh, where where do they find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, if you go to howtoleadonline.com, um, howtoleadonline.com, there's there's all the stuff about about me, about how to stay in touch, about some talks that I've done on this topic, that kind of stuff. I And, you know, the I mean, I think the best thing that people could do is really to um, obviously – I hope people will grab the book and I hope they'll find it helpful. But even more than that is taking, uh, really doing what you're talking about and taking time to stop, look inward, ask some of those difficult questions of how am I doing? Yeah. You know, how is, how is my soul? How, how is, I love the line protecting my ego. It really is, uh, taking the time to ask some of those more difficult questions. So, um, yeah, I really hope it's a, huge help for people for sure that i i think it is i'm challenged because i know i i that's the easiest thing to forget right mm-hmm. to, the easiest thing to say yep. well yep. you know my my schedule's got to give what can give and and it's me so um clay this has been yep. so helpful i think it's been challenging uh on several levels uh i think it's been helpful we like to close with two questions that we ask every guest so the first one is um, you know, you're, you're a machine, you're going, you're speaking, you're leading a huge team, you're writing books, your life's intentional, intense. What's the most unproductive, but life-giving thing that you do? Golf. I think it's golf. 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 Okay. We got a golfer. I played, I played this morning with my dad and yeah. And uh, two of our older kids. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I'm not a big outdoor person, so I don't love, I mean, I'm, I don't love camping. I don't love getting outside really, but it's, there is obviously something about getting outside that is just so therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, having a perfectly manicured golf course is really a fantastic way <laughs> to get outside. <laughs> so, That's perfect. And then I like, I enjoy competition. I enjoy having games. Sure. Uh, yeah. So the, the second question, Clay, is you, you have, um, just, just this impressive body of work that you've done. You've climbed the ladder. You've had these promotions. When, when you think about, you wrap all that up in your experiences and the books that you've written, what's the one piece of advice that you'd like to share with our Tractionville community? I mean, I feel like the thing I'm dealing, I, I thought this was something I dealt with when I was a teenager and I've just, been so reminded lately that it's something that you never get away from, but, um, it is so easy for us to attach what we do to who we are. And so the process of detaching what people say about us, what we think about ourselves sometimes, uh, obviously what we do professionally, Uh, how things are going even in our personal life, being able to attach all of those things from who we are is just such a constant process. And it takes, it takes defining yourself. I mean, it takes really rooting yourself in a core identity. Um, But that's probably the most, you know, it's really, it's so when I wrote this book, how to lead, we're not in charge. I started diving into it and I started like, I started with these habits, these four habits, but 
um, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? It doesn't, the habits don't matter. I mean, if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a core sense of identity, Mm. um, if you're constantly connecting what you do to who you are, then you're never going to be able to lead well, even when you have authority, but particularly when you don't have authority. And so it was really the, it's, it, 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 it became the chapter two and chapter three for this book, uh, because, I just felt like you couldn't have this conversation without talking about identity. So um, that's probably the most helpful thing that the most helpful process that I've ever gone through in my life. And it doesn't end. It's an everyday process. I mm-hmm. thought it was something that you, you build this foundation and then you just work from there, but it's something that you constantly have to tender, uh, tenderize. It's something you constantly have to pay attention to. It's a toy soil that you constantly have to till. I mean, whatever metaphor you want to use, it's something that's ongoing and, never ending and it's a lifetime of work. So if I, I've got to ask the follow-up then it begs for it. If I'm listening to you and I'm like, I, I don't have that. I want that. I need a sense of identity detached from who I am. Where do I start? Well, I believe that the best identity is ascribed to you. So I think you got to find someone outside of yourself to give it to you, to help you find it. I don't think it's something that you could just find on your own. So obviously, so my professional work, I'm a pastor. So I, my faith really informs that, you know, I feel like that's really helped me find who am I going to look to outside of myself to help determine myself, um, to help determine who I am. But I think you got to find that. And, you know, for some people, it's the people around them for other people, it's, an older mentor. And then for a lot of people, it's really what drives them into some sort of faith is because you've got to find something or someone outside of yourself to help you figure out who you are, because we're just too, we're too easily swayed and too easily tricked. And we're so good at convincing ourselves things that aren't actually true about ourselves that, um, it's crazy that we're just not able to trust ourselves with ourselves. We just can't, we're, we, we're, we're too easily swayed. And so I think you got to find someone outside of you to help you do that because mm-hmm. that's the, the best kind of identity is identity that's agreed upon from people outside of yourself or from someone outside of yourself. And the best kind of identity is something that someone places on you and not just something that you come to on your own. So, that's, that's so you good. Know, that's, that's what's happened for me. The metaphor I, I like to use that's along those same lines is, is who are you going to allow to sign your report card and what's the criteria to which they're going to grade you? Because somewhere in our head, yeah. there's other people grading us, and we don't even know what the criteria yeah, is. Right. So we're chasing, we're right. chasing the air. Yep. So Clay, yeah, that's right. so good, full, good, helpful. Thank you so much for being with us, Tractionville. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you rate us, subscribe, and as always, share with a friend. We would love to also hear your ideas. You can share them with us at TractionvillePodcast.com. And we release an episode every Tuesday. So we'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday.